Welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. To get you through the holiday week, check out theringer.com for our July streaming recommendations, analysis on the U.S. women's national team during the World Cup, and takeaways from an exciting start to NBA free agency. Also, we'll be sticking to our regular podcast schedule, so make sure to tune in to your favorite shows throughout the week as usual. David, do you know what the journalistic term evergreen means? <laughs> okay. Um, yes, uh, I do. It's a, it's a story that can uh, that can run on any at any point in time. It doesn't have to come out right when it's done. And I guess the the, the connection you're drawing here is that we are recording this podcast a couple of days early, so that it can come out on its regularly scheduled Friday time slot. Right. It's a, this is being recorded on Wednesday, but it could essentially come out anytime and you can listen to it anytime this is what journalists do before holidays write something <laughs> that'll survive write something that'll last right it's something that anybody can read this is what we're doing here this is fantastic well it's nice to know that even though Kawhi Leonard will almost certainly announce his free agency destination as I crack open my third or fourth beer on the 4th of July um, that we can at least get some work done ahead of time there's some evergreen content that we can be proud of I was trying to think, you know, what would be the media story where I'm going to have to find the microphone and record a new opening like Bill did the other day when D'Angelo Russell got traded? <laughs> like New York Times gets sold, Jeff Bezos goes to prison. I mean, what what is the uh, what would require us to get back in front of the mics and record a new top to this podcast? Yeah, sadly, I don't think we're going to need a topper where we where we say, uh, you know, the, the the Trump administration has totally renounced its uh, its immigration policy. Um and so ignore the rest of the show. But, uh, but you know, we can always hope. We are the hearty perennial of media podcasts. This is the Press Box, <laughs> a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Fantastic. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to the Press Box. Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker of the Ringer here. Lots to get to today, including farewell to the tabloidiest tabloid reporter of all time, the disappearing Mike Pence and Clay Thompson's unlikely tribute to print newspapers. But first, David, we should spend a few minutes, I think, talking about the images we've seen lately from the border. On Monday, Joaquin Castro, U.S. representative and brother of Julian Castro, who's running for president, was touring the Border Patrol facilities in Texas. According to the Washington Post, uh, the phones of the politicians who were there were confiscated, but Castro managed to secretly make recordings and take some pictures, which he put on Twitter. Uh, he tweeted, our border patrol system is broken, and part of the reason it stays broken is because it's kept secret. The American people must see what is being carried out in their name. And let's uh, run a little audio here. This is not going to be particularly meaningful, but it will give you a sense of some of the video that uh, Castro was able to get out of the Border Patrol facility. What would Castro is doing in that video is actually also holding up a handwritten list of names of some of the women at that detention facility that he had scribbled down. Uh, he tweeted, they asked us to take down their names and let everyone know they need help. He also took footage of the shower facilities, which he called dank and dirty. Uh, said that many people there had not bathed for 15 days. 
um, said that uh, some of the women had not received their medication, including one for epilepsy. Members of Congress comforted them, comforted them when the women broke down. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was also on that visit. And afterwards, she said this. There's abuse in these, in these facilities. There's abuse. This was them on their best behavior. And they put them in a room with no running water. And these women were being told by CBP officers to drink out of the toilet. So why all this is particularly interesting, David, is because the American media and therefore the American people have seen almost nothing of these facilities to this point. A uh, lawyer told the Washington Post, Paul Farhi, if journalists had access to the detention centers at the border where children are being held in filthy conditions, those centers would not exist. So is this a case of the media is barred and essentially politicians are temporarily taking the role of the media? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good way to look at it. I, I mean, uh, I'm it's 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 honestly a subject that's kind of hard to to wrap one's mind around as far as you know um you know there have been journalists that have been there i mean that have broken parts of this story before mm-hmm. um but you know it's a it is a in a lot of ways as you know the sound clip you just played you know evinced evinced was that you know it's a it's a visual media right i mean it's it's a it, it's almost necessary to have video to fully wrap one's head around what's going on the photos have done you know have have gone a long way to help but um you know i mean it's i'm sure there's a lot of enterprising journalists who are stymied both by their you know both by what the government's letting them do and by the by the you know strictures of of print journalism or or whatever else they're working with so it's it's a it's a incredibly difficult situation that's say nothing of the morality of it you know one thing far he notes in his piece is that Essentially, all the people who are trying to report on these centers are doing it secondhand at this point, journalists, that is. They basically call lawyers and victims advocates and immigration advocates and say, what's going on? What have you seen in these centers? And then, as you say, use print to basically describe it. And, of course, that was supposed to be what happened here uh, with Castro. He was just able to smuggle pictures and video out of the center uh, without, you know, kind of around the government and give it that vibe. I mean, this is, I think, all too, we should probably think of this as kind of part of a flood of images that all of a sudden we have begun to see from the border. Uh, most strikingly, and that is me struggling for a neutral adjective here, is the photo of the Salvadoran migrant Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez and his two-year-old daughter Valeria, who were lying face down, drowned in the Rio Grande taken by a journalist at La Jornada, the newspaper, and then, of course, played all over American media sources. Today and yesterday, we've also seen photos uh, from government investigators of overcrowded shelters. Uh, We have seen Ocasio-Cortez posting pictures on her social media of tiny little squeeze packets of shampoo that the detainees were given. Ocasio-Cortez has also, I think, rhetorically used the term concentration camps. Uh, to describe the facility, she tells Jonathan Katz and Mother Jones, we need to repeat the term and allow ourselves to be comfortable with that. The reason no one was talking about it was because we had accustomed ourselves to depravity. And sometimes you have to make people uncomfortable in order for us to do anything about an issue. So it's sort of saying, you know, I really feel that this is this has all happened in June, essentially. Right. 
this is the point where we finally gotten images to match a policy and a policy that is, you know, striking offensive on its face, but again, almost hard to process without seeing pictures of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about our buddy Chuck Todd, you know, coming out against speaking out against uh, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez's use of the term concentration camps. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know how much MTP Daily has gone in to actually, you know, investigate what's going on there or or even to address the the kind of moral catastrophe and and, um, you know, the term humanitarian crisis gets thrown around a lot, but I think that that's justified, uh, justified term in this, in this situation. But, but it's, you know, it seems like these photos without, I mean, these photo, the, you know, the photos and videos that we've seen um, make that sort of distinction. Uh, I mean, it seems just sort of silly to be arguing over terminology. And I think Ocasio-Cortez makes a strong point about making people uncomfortable deliberately. And even the term humanitarian crisis doesn't really, I feel that's one of those newspaper terms that we're just numb to at this point. It is. It is. And, 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 it, and it cuts both ways in the sense that, like, you know, there was, you know, the, the, the Trump administration can talk about the crisis on the border, um, referring to it as a humanitarian crisis from, you know, nominally the other side of the argument. It doesn't really seem like you're arguing too much you know i mean it, it, you like you said you're numb to it and uh in some ways this is a it's not a manufactured crisis that the 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 causes of the mass migration are in a lot of ways out of the hands of the united states government but the but the politicization of it is certainly manufactured to a large degree these concentration camps if you want to call them that are you know a decision that was deliberately made by the trump administration and um and you know the situation i mean the fact that we're arguing over this in terms of politics is just sort of mind blowing yeah it's funny about immigration too that uh when i when i used to write about this a little bit it was always interesting to me that this issue is an is probably number 1 or at least in the top 3 of issues that have these striking conflicting often misleading images that lead the public debate You'll remember mm-hmm. right before the 2016 midterms, excuse me, 2018 midterms, uh, the big image, you could not turn to Fox News or Trump's Twitter account and not see images of the migrant caravan. And right. when Trump and his allies would use the word crisis, the crisis they were talking about was crisis of people coming into the United States, the U.S. border being overwhelmed. If you went back to mm-hmm. the Obama administration, the images were often that was when the you know the mexican drug war was in a different stage and the images were often you know dead bodies in mexico and narcos and the 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 wages of that battle shown to american audiences often with the idea of uh oh the drug wars coming into the united states here are you know these here are the things you have to here are the reasons to be scared of the border here are the reasons to be scared of other people even if that was almost never the case So I just don't know that any issue that I can possibly think of gets dominated by images like this. Um, I I, I can't even I can't even know. I don't know what's second place, to be honest. Uh, Another big story from yesterday was Ocasio-Cortez and Representative Norma Torres 
They said they didn't feel safe in the Border Patrol facility. And speaking of which, there was a big report in ProPublica by A.C. Thompson. Yeah. Uh, And let me just read the first couple of paragraphs of that. Members of a secret Facebook group for current and former Border Patrol agents joked about the death of migrants, discussed throwing burritos at Latino members of Congress visiting a detention facility in Texas, and posted a vulgar illustration depicting Ocasio-Cortez engaged in oral sex with a detained migrant, according to screenshots of their postings. In one exchange, group members responded with indifference and wisecracks to the news story of a 16-year-old Guatemalan migrant who died in custody. One member posted a gif of Elmo with the quote, oh well. Another responded with an image and the words, if he dies, he dies. So, (laughs) in in terms of illustrating that part of the issue um that was another big story again i think you and i are sort of at a loss for words here because i don't know what to say <laughs> you know it's yeah. sort of it's sort of like all this has come out all this has come out at once and i know what i think about it but it's almost hard to put it into words yeah i mean this isn't exactly i mean there, there's no excuse for those facebook posts and and for um, you know, any actions that result from that or, you know, any, any dehumanization that goes, that goes on in part of our, you know, in part of the Americans who are running these camps. Um, and it's not exactly the fog of war, but, but, you know, this is a, we've seen this before, you know, in wartime situations and stuff that, you know, dehumanizing people in mass will lead to this sort of inhuman response. And, um, and it's just a, a terrible state of affairs that that well that here we are. I, mean, I don't I don't even know what to say either. One of the politicians that went along yesterday, a Texas uh, House member, I believe, had a statement on Twitter afterwards where he said something like, "I don't I don't want to describe these facilities as not working because I think they're absolutely working in the way that Trump wants them to work. This is right. essentially." a successful execution of Trump's chosen policy rather than an unsuccessful execution of it. And, and that's an interesting way to look too, that we're finally getting images that show exactly what this was supposed to be in the eyes of the people who designed it. And, you know, it's just that again, as you pointed out a second ago, rhetorically or in terms of pictures, we just haven't had something that's caught up with what the policy was. And finally, we have, you know, and again, just we're talking a few images, a few snippets of video here and there, something that kind of matches it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's just sort of disheartening just to imagine the direction this is going to take. And I, I hope that I'm wrong, but, you know, these are largely people that came here seeking sanctuary. You know, I mean, this isn't some like, like craven crew that's determined to take American low paying jobs. And even if they were, I mean, just sort of shrug my shoulders, but um, it's not that it doesn't, it's not that hard to imagine this being a part of Trump's campaign and not, I mean, the pictures may change everything and, and let's hope that they do, but it's not that hard to imagine him starting, you know, we need more camps chance on the campaign trail. I do wonder about that because it, you know, I think, you know, lock, lock up the migrants is something that he's indulged in a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how that, I mean, putting aside the morality and, and we probably shouldn't, but, but just for the moment, I don't know that 
that that can survive these kind of pictures. I really don't. And I don't know how much, you know, we've already seen, including in those, um, that ProPublica thing, a lot of those um, current and former uh, members of the Border Patrol talking about fake news and, oh, are these migrant photos uh, doctored and those kinds of things. But I don't know. You know, I think it's really hard, and I think it's an it, it'll be a sort of interesting gut check whether it's it's a lot easier to sell a certain segment of the American public on quote unquote tough immigration policy. It's harder yeah. to do when you have those pictures to go with it. By the way, fascinating I, column by Jack Schaefer in Politico. He uh, quotes from a book by Jessica Fishman. Uh, the book was a 2018 book called "Death Makes the News," about how the American media is much. Uh, more eager to show photos of dead foreigners than they are of dead Americans. And mm -hmm. it's really interesting. Fishman did these studies where she looked at the coverage of Hurricane Katrina versus the Indian Ocean tsunami, which was right around the same time, and found that American newspapers were constantly, uh, were not bothered by posting pictures of foreign bodies. But when it came to Americans, they were much more interested in posting pictures of survivors. And it was almost like they got squeamish about it. Yeah. Uh, fascinating thing. And uh, Schaefer says in his column, it'll really change the way you read about the newspaper. I've got a Rush Limbaugh clip up here, but I don't know if I really even want to hear it. You know, it's just him making fun of Ocasio-Cortez. So how about so we I just I mean, I, we don't need to play the clip, but I do. But I do think it's 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 salient to 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 recognize that there are major conservative voices that are joking about the situation. Right. So, I mean, so when we talk about the Trump campaign trail, yeah, I mean, like, listen, I, I can sit here and say that I, I'm confident that, you know, the American public writ large will, should not and will not stand for this sort of thing. Um, but that doesn't mean that like Trump can get far enough outside of his, the, you know, his, his campaign rally bubble to, I mean, I, I, I still, I do think that like, you know, lock them up is, a, is going to be, you know, is a chant that, that would get people chanting behind it, regardless of the actual, the actual political and humanitarian implications of it. And the rush thing is shows the playbook, which is, you don't talk about the policies, but you attack AOC, who is already mm -hmm. an obsession, obsessive figure of Fox News. You go after her and you sort of hope that the policy, you know, people just sort of forget about it or, you know, it becomes this kind of vague thing that nobody can get their mind around. All right. Time for the overworked Twitter joke of the week, David, where we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time from the U.S. soccer team's victory over Piers Morgan. I mean, England Tuesday. Uh, when a goal was taken away from England by the dreaded video assistant referee or VAR or instant replay, as we call it, it was an overworked Twitter joke to say, VAR, I take back every bad thing I've said about you. That one snared Mina Kimes, PFT commenter, Big Cat, Roger Sherman, and the Ringer's main Twitter account. And thanks to Paul McGranite for that one. Uh, speaking of snaring everyone, are we past the point where you just tweet ball don't lie? during a game just in a moment like where everybody just <laughs> hits that at the same time ryan rogers uh, tweeted that it was a joke so obvious that all of ringer media made it at exactly the same time since it got uh, tate mina and michael bauman thanks to ryan rogers ryan patrick and kyle madsen for pointing that one out and finally after england lost two to one it was an overworked twitter joke to write the brits already blew a 13 colony lead so this is unsurprising thanks to argyle <laughs> umbrella for that um this one from NBA Free Agency, and I only say this so we just can never use it again, but uh, Free Agency in the NBA was supposed to start Sunday night Eastern time, and then, of course, a whole bunch of signings were announced right at the second <laughs> it began. 
Yes. Meaning that, of course, everyone tweeted uh, there is no tampering at all in the NBA, and this obviously proves it. <laughs> so it's kind of like the one where we start this, you know, team starts 1-0, and and you said they're gonna, they're on pace to go 82-0. and Let's just end that right now. Uh, yeah. Thanks to Big Little Rise and Pierce Trahan for sending that. <laughs> About the uh, Colin Kaepernick, Nike, Betsy Ross thing which you might have read about on every single conservative website in America. Nike was going to put the old Betsy Ross flag on a pair of Air Max One quick strikes, and Kaepernick, who has a Nike deal, pointed out that it's often used as a symbol by racists. Uh, so Nike took it off. Wall Street Journal broke the story. It was an overworked Twitter joke to write, this Kaepernick-Betsy Ross-Nike thing truly is a fight for the soul of America. S-O-L-E, oh, soul. God. I know, and and I know I, I'm not endorsing it, but it was everywhere, thanks to bards against for that one all right david time for the notebook dump and since we know everything in this media world we live in i thought we'd say something about the strange case of mike pence's disappearance this week (laughs) i'm sure you followed this according to cnn he got on a helicopter at the naval observatory yesterday uh went to andrews air force base and then got on a plane to prepare for a flight en route to an opioid treatment facility in new hampshire a person at the facility then walked out and told the press, I ha- I do have some bad news at this point. Air Force Two was headed this way. There's been an emergency. Yeah. Turns out Air Force Two never took off. Of course, immediately the press starts wondering what the emergency is. A senior administration official told CNN, this is not health related for the VP or president. Nothing related to national security. Okay. So it's not Pence's health. It's not Trump's. We haven't invaded someone or attacked someone. It's not national security. Trump was also not seen yesterday, uh, though he did tweet logistics of his July 4th tank event, which was off (laughs) off topic, but seemed to indicate everything was okay. And then Mark Short, who is Pence's chief of staff, according to CNN, intensified speculation when he told reporters who were asking what happened, that they would find out the cause, quote, in a few weeks. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> something happened <laughs> yeah i didn't i had missed the in a few weeks part of this yeah i was watching tv yesterday when this was going down and it it seemed um i mean it seemed like a national emergency briefly you know i mean it seemed like there was something like there was some giant story or news or or you know catastrophe about to drop and um and then there was it was just sort of met with a you know uh, an eye roll from from the vice president's office. I'm, it's it's kind of hard to know what to make of it. Um, I'm, uh, presumably, news will come out at some point sooner than a couple of weeks, but but maybe it'll take some. Maybe we'll have to wait for you know the next Trump White House expose book to to get published. But this is just a really just maybe insignificant, but just you know deeply weird moment. But yeah, my interest in it was the fact that there was actually something in the world that we didn't know yeah. and that we didn't find out for 24 hours. It's really weird, especially with the Trump white house, by the way, where we seem to know everything like instantly, but yeah. um, that when there's just a hole in the news and there's no answer at all. And also the kind of panic, like, uh Oh, something happened to Mike Pence, <laughs> which is still kind of America's backup plan. Did you see, David, the strange but touching tribute to print from Clay Thompson? Nick DiPaolo, who covers sneaker stuff, (laughs) reports that Thompson is celebrating his lucrative new Warriors contract by dropping a pair of shoes that are decorated like a newspaper. 
It's a yeah. tribute to Thompson's pregame locker room ritual of reading the paper, according to Paula. <laughs> uh, if you see these shoes, it's just newsprint and big headlines over it. Yeah. Um, DePaula also adds all buyers of the newspaper themed sneakers this weekend will get a free one year subscription to the East Bay Times. So that that's true. Is that that's true? <laughs> yeah. You get a newspaper. Fantastic. Buy the shoes that look like a newspaper and then you get a subscription to a newspaper. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting to see how many of the shoe buyers are uh, become regular subscribers of the East Bay Times. But, you know, I can be hopeful, I guess. Is this a way, do you think, to save America's uh, slumping newspaper industry to make shoes that look like newspapers, like Sperry I mean, Topsiders that look like the New York Times Arts and Leisure section, maybe? I mean, buy buy a different thing and get a free subscription has been a uh, functional part of the of the you know America's print media uh, financial <laughs> plan for some time. Yeah, um, going back to ESPN Insider. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, but sure, if this helps, then 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 I'm all for it. Also, I I maybe I was just totally missed the fact that that Clay Thompson was a uh, I mean had a had a ritual of reading the newspaper in the locker room before every game. Uh, I'm not sure does, I knew I mean, that either. It seems like maybe when you're when you're designing your shoes, you should lean on maybe a, a slightly more uh, a more well known part of your personality. Although I guess like dancing funny on foreign trips is not you know does not a a, a best selling ten- <laughs> tennis shoe make. But uh, but but yeah, I mean I do, I do think that uh, I do think it's a good looking shoe. I could I, I imagine that there will probably be some ringer staffers rocking this in the not too distant future. Yeah, I kind of want some for us. You know, you don't we don't <laughs> we don't get too many. Uh too many press tie-ins here with the uh, sneaker department, but this, these actually look kind of cool. <laughs> David from the obits desk, I want to direct you to an incredible obituary in The Guardian, ran a while back. We'll put this on the uh, Pressbox Twitter account. For the historian Norman Stone, uh, the idea, I think, at this point in history of the legendarily mean British obit is kind of more of a dream than it is an actual day-to-day reality, but this one hit it. The author Richard J. Evans starts about talking about how Norman Stone was a specialist in character assassination, and then Evans proceeds (laughs) to do it on his own. Talks about what an unpleasant guy Stone was, how much he drank, how he blew his early promise as a historian. And this was the end of the obit. This will give you a flavor of it. Journalists often describe Stone as one of Britain's leading historians, but in truth, he was nothing of the kind, as any serious member of the profession will tell you. The former Prime Minister Edward Heath was wrong about many things, but he was surely right when he said of Stone, many parents of Oxford students must be horrified and disgusted that the higher education of our children should rest in the hands of such a man. <laughs> then, there, then there's a paragraph break. Stone is survived by his sons. End of obit. <laughs> it's fantastic work. Yeah, we'll put that on Twitter anyway. That was uh, That was fascinating. The other one, that I want to direct your attention to is that of Steve Dunleavy, uh, who I think you and I remember as a New York Post columnist, but was one of the most Murdochian characters in Rupert Murdoch's journalistic universe. When Dunleavy died a little over a week ago, Murdoch himself said he was one of the greatest reporters of all time. And I'm going to read a little bit from his New York Post obituary. Uh, He got exclusive interviews. This is Dunleavy, who was, by the way, Australian and you won't need me to say that when you read the rest of this, but he was he was an Australian journo. Uh, got exclusive interviews with Sirhan Sirhan and the Boston Strangler, Albert DeSalvo. DeSalvo, the New York Post writes, also posed in the nude for Dunleavy, who had smuggled a camera into prison for the story. 
Uh, still quoting from the post here, Dunleavy enticed three of Elvis's bodyguards to reveal the singer's drug addiction. Elvis fans were so mad they dispatched a hearse to the New York Post uh, to pick up Dunleavy. Wow. Uh, still more to come. We're not done. Dunleavy punched Phil Spector in the face. Yes, that Phil Spector. Uh, Dunleavy slashed his own father's tires because he and his dad and other journalists were competing on a story. He dressed in hospital scrubs to sneak into a hospital and interview the family of one of the victims of Son of Sam. He, wow. he says, I lost count of the number of times I posed as a cop, a public servant, or a funeral director <laughs> in order to get a story. Uh, he wrote a column that so impressed the far-right John Birch Society that it named Dunleavy its American of the Year, despite the fact that he was not an American. Um <laughs> He beat ABC News' Nightline out of an exclusive interview with Jessica Hahn. Remember Jessica Hahn? Oh, By yeah. going to her house and telling uh, ABC's driver that Hahn had been taken to the hospital. So they left, and then he did, he got the story. Um, and then this is the best part. On a snowy night, he went to Elaine's. Remember Elaine's, the old journalistic watering hole in New York? Of course, yeah. Where Dunleavy met the fiancé of an Australian journalist. Okay, He meets the fiancé of another journalist. While his pals decamp to another bar across the street, Dunleavy and the fiance wound up outside, quote, humping in the snow, arses going up and down, according to a Daily Mail journalist. As we were watching, a snowplow came up the street and ran over Dunleavy's foot. One of the journalists uh, who was watching said Dunleavy was so loaded it didn't matter, but was eventually taken by ambulance to a hospital where he was diagnosed with a broken foot. Wow. So farewell to Steve Dunleavy. Uh, the New York Post's very own. That is what an amazing and strange person. Uh, David, I also want to direct you to a different topic. Also, as it happens from Australia, which is invasions that never happen. My pal, Russell Jackson, who's one of my favorite sports writers in Australia or anywhere in the world, has written a new book called Electrifying 80s. Footy's outrageous decade in the words of its best writers. Uh, available wherever fine books are sold. Footy, by the way, is Australian rules football for us benighted Americans. <laughs> right. There's a piece in the book. You'll appreciate this from 1985 from a Melbourne newspaper called The Age. It's written by Trevor Grant. Uh, it's about how Australian rules football was going to take over America. This is 1985. <laughs> and I, wanna, I, I just wanted to, to shout this out because don't you love sports stories about how a sport is about to conquer America? Oh, it yeah. Almost, that almost feels like it needs its own collection. I mean, what have we had over the years? Poker sort of did it. Yeah. Actually sort of did it, I guess, at a really low level. What else was going to conquer the United States? Did we have like a rugby run somewhere in there? Sure. I think Cornhole is the newest contender to the throne there. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I think bowling is kind of it's it's anything that gets like a cable TV run, which uh, Footy did back in the day. Anyway, this piece talks about the fact that there were some Nike ads funny nike ad showing footy at one point during the 80s uh he talks about how australian rules football had gotten a better time slot on espn yeah uh and was getting healthy ratings also how a man in new york had become so enamored with footy that he essentially got himself hired by as kind of uh, australian rules football's american publicist and was flooding <laughs> newspapers with uh ratings info and and all that kinds of stuff um also talked about how the letters he was getting were 27 percent of the letters he bragged were from women which is pretty funny 
but uh it's great and and what i love about this too is 1986 is when crocodile dundee comes out i was about to say they were wrong about australian rules football but they weren't but they were right about australia about the australia wave that was taking over the country yeah it was kind of the wrong invasion right yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i just feel this is one of those great stories and this happens to be an australian journalist in this case but this is one of those great sort of sports writing templates blank sport is on the rise in the united states mm-hmm. not blank sport is interesting or blank sport is funny but this sport is going to take over america right because because right. any journalist wants to be around at the birth of anything or the death of anything so this sure. is kind of the birth piece well you know australian rules football still got they still have a chance i, I don't i think the, i don't think the book's closed on the on australian rules football just yet you maybe it, maybe a na- maybe a name that doesn't emphasize its otherness would help, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's also kind of a great example of the kind of, uh, you know, and of course Americans are just as guilty of this too. I feel like you know we probably got a few of these when when baseball was in London this last weekend, and you know, oh yeah, look, baseball's invading another country. It sort of it sort of works as patriotism too. Hey, look, even our strange, bizarre sport is catching on in foreign land. And so, um, so that's great stuff too. Some listener mail, David, um, somebody named football state of mind sent me a note. Remember we were talking about media members last week and how they now do two job announcements. Whenever you leave a media job, you do an announcement that you're leaving. And then you do another announcement a week later that you joined a new company. You must right. do two different things. Uh, football state of mind notes that media members announcing their new job, uh, now announce their new jobs, like their NBA free agents where they write all caps sources. I'm no longer a free agent. I'll be joining so-and-so. <laughs> so that's kind of a bit now. Um, this from JW, who sends us some material for our occasional segment on how people came to love Guy Fieri, a.k.a. Fear Rehab. Uh, JW sent us a tweet in which Fieri put, him, put his blonde head onto Spider-Man's body. Uh, the occasion being the new Spider-Man movie that just came out, and use the tagline, with great flavor comes great responsibility. <laughs> Hashtag far from flavor town. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So uh, the the <laughs> the rehab of Fury continues apace. All right, time for David Shoemaker Guesses, a strain pun headline. Remember that story about smuggled finches earlier this week? Yeah. Oh. How could I forget? Yeah, America's Got Talent. You got it. Listener Michael Allen asks, how in the world was it not why the cage bird sings? Which is uh, pretty good. (laughs) This one, David, comes from Paul Gibson, pediatric oncologist in Canada. Thank you, Paul. Uh, The headline is from the Toronto Star. Here you go. Are you ready? Okay. It's a story about Canadians who make miniature models of various Canadian cities. Okay. You know, you know, you I feel like you see these things at a state fair or something like that. Uh, you go. Yeah, and sure. It's a, yeah. Yeah. There's a miniature CN Tower, a miniature Scotiabank Center. And it's so detailed that you can either both have the basketball court or the hockey rink in Scotiabank Center. I mean, these are uh-huh. just people spending lords of time. OK. What is the Toronto Stars strain pun headline for a profile of the people who make miniature Canadian models? What? Oh, I, I'm totally drawing a blank. Let me, um, just, let me just push you in the right am I, direction. Am I? Yeah. Am I looking for a city name? What, what's, what am I working off of here? Let's remember the Raptors, I mean, current NBA champions. 
The Raptors, okay. Yeah, and remember a phrase or a, you know, sort of slogan the Raptors may have thrown around. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Wait, is it is it we the North with an extra E on the W on the we? That is correct. Oh. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this piece. That is so great, though. That is that is fantastic. We the North. Oh we my the gosh! North. The obsessive dreamers behind a seventeen million dollar miniature model of Canada. Seventeen million dollars. Uh, that ran in Saturday's Toronto Star. It, it says it's an 11 minute read. So if you've got 11 minutes, uh, <laughs> we the North. <laughs> Holy smokes. Oh boy. Uh, let us thank, uh, give a special July 4th or July 5th thanks to the producer of this podcast, Jim Huntingham, Chris Almeida for research. David is back next Tuesday with a special guest host. And then the two of us are back again on Friday. See you then, David. See you later, man. Have a good holiday. You too. David? Uh Uh-huh? Take back every bad thing I've said about you. Okay. The fact that there was actually something in the world that we didn't know. Yeah, sure. And that we didn't find out for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. It's really weird. Uh-huh. Where we seem to know everything, like, instantly. Yeah, sure. But um, when there's just a hole in the news, and David punched Phil Spector in the face. Yes, that Phil Spector. Holy smokes. 